Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Friday, October 30th of 2020. And we'd like to welcome you, all of those that are joining us from wherever you're joining us. What a delight and what a privilege and honor to be able uh, to study the Word of God together. We know that um, it's, it's, you know, you take out of your time to listen, to join us. Uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit has you, has connected us together by the Spirit as we encourage one another, exhort one another. This is probably our last, uh, I say probably, you never know what could happen tomorrow, but this is probably our last podcast of the month of October. And Lord willing, on Monday, we are already in the month of November. And just think of how fast time has passed how the days have been going, and really all the things that we have seen in 2020, it's been amazing. It's been uh, extraordinary, the things and where we find ourselves. You know, just just last, last, <laughs> just last year, we celebrated Thanksgiving and, 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 uh, and Christmas, not knowing that this year would be the type of year that it's been. But all of this is prophetic. It's in the Word of God. And we're here, and we're here by the grace of God. So it is an honor, like I said, for us, for Brother Marty, and Brother Fernando, and myself to be able to uh, to come to you almost on a daily basis, coming to you with the word of God. As I said, joining us today is Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, and uh, we are ready as we get ready to uh, finish out this week. Brother Marty, we have been in such a journey. I see the lights now. I see that we're, we're heading. We're about there in Athens. <laughs> the, pr- yeah. the prognostications are that that uh, we're just a few feet away. <laughs> but it's been yeah. a good journey, Brother Marty. You know, the things and the places where God has taken us and the things that we have been able to glean and speak with Brother Fernando amongst ourselves and with the people, uh, the revelation, the parallels with the book of Revelation. Uh, I think it's been an awesome and a necessary journey that we have taken. So, uh, Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We've been through 16 chapters of the book of Acts on our way to Athens as we've seen the development of the early church, the the great controversies that arose right from the beginning, Uh, the, the growth of the church and the development of its doctrine. And and in many ways, you mentioned the book of Revelation, we have begun to see the prophetic parallels uh, that were really, even in though they were historical events, were our foreshadows and were at the time foreshadowing what it would be like at the end of time, which is the time that we believe that we have come to. Now, that statement alone, um, it's received in, in many ways by people who hear those kinds of things. Some say we've heard that for years. Others say, oh, that can't possibly be. And yet there is that group, uh, whenever God's spirit is moving, that bears witness. And I think that's one of the things that we, we learn from, from the book of Acts, is that the spirit of God um, is moves across the landscape of the entire culture. But the responses to the gospel are wide and varying, but there's always a remnant. 
there's always those who would hear more on this matter or those who receive the gospel with gladness. The pockets of believers that began to spring up like thousands of, of, of lit candles in a dark world that would create a flame that would burn across the entirety of the planet. And though darkness would rise from generation to generation, the history of the church uh, echoes to us in these times that are so uncertain that the gospel stands. And, and it stands because it's the word of Almighty God, and it cannot be shaken. You know, I think about the, uh, I think his name was Voltaire. Uh, he had stood boldly to proclaim that, uh, holding up a Bible, that with, within a hundred years, the Bible would be relegated uh, to the museums of the world. And it was just a few short years after he made that that statement that, that uh, he would die and his house would become a chief center for the publishing of the Bible. <laughs> so, so Voltaire is off the scene somewhere. God hopes that uh, God help him, you know, in his soul, but, but, you know, men come and men go kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, but the word of God endures forever. And yeah. we take, we take great strength in the book of Acts when we see and explore uh, the endurance of our brethren the protection of the Holy Spirit of the early church. You know, it's extraordinary when you think about it, um, that it actually flourished and endured uh, because it was, it was such a, a, a whole new revelation in the earth. It, it, it not only came up against 1500 years, 2000 years of Judaism, you know, if I want to, you know, characterize it like that, maybe even more really at least a thousand years, 1500 years of its own development uh, and, and how it collated and became an incredibly powerful entrenched system in the old world, the Jerusalem as its capital and multiple synagogues that would spread across the known world of that time. Uh, it became an entrenched system. And then you had, of course, the, the, uh, the mythologies of the Greeks and the Romans and, and the ancient gods that, that go all the way back to to Genesis 10 and 11, you know, where we have the, the pagan nations of the world and the nations divided by the Spirit of God. So multiple histories and multiple philosophies, multiple concepts of material world and, and spiritual world already well entrenched in human history. Uh, and then into this, the Bible says, came the Lord Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, God sent his only son. And it's it's extraordinary to me that that the gospel uh, endured in that climate, which which tells us and teaches us that it's more than just a religion, it's more than a philosophy, it's more than a calculated uh, <laughs> doctrine uh, or, or carefully crafted fable, like Peter would say. He said, "We didn't preach to you, uh, you know, a cunningly devised fable." He said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Praise God. John Hallelujah. said, we, be, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. You know, he is the light of the world, he said. He's the light that lights every man. So, you know, it was that, it was that unshakable uh, confidence, faith, and eyewitness accounts 
that that propelled the strength of the gospel forward and and with the working of the holy spirit adding the 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 divine component to their efforts the world uh has never been the same and it's with that that we've been exploring the 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 development of god's servants and it's fascinating when you actually take the time uh to see the preservation not only of the saints but of the message itself and its evolution and 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 the discoveries that they made as individuals in the very events that they experienced that shaped the very new testament itself and its writings and 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 we'll see that a little bit today as we as we continue on our journey to Athens we now cross into the 17th chapter and these things are going to be uh spoken today are are we pray uh insightful inspirational and uh, and instructional uh for us uh because as we have said and we'll see these events parallel in the beginning of the church the very blossomed reality uh for those upon whom the ends of the age have come that final generation we believe we are witnessing the same things replay themselves and we'll dig into that a little bit today as we uh as we approach uh Athens like brother Jeremy said uh, we can almost see the city lights <laughs> as we're coming across the desert. But uh, so, Brother Jeremy, could you start our study today by reading to us Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 5, and we'll begin our discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis Anfif- and, Ap- and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, there where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people hmm. that's incredible so uh it says here that paul told them in verse three uh this jesus whom i preach to you is the christ as uh as we come now to the 17th chapter we've now gone through almost 10 years in the last uh chapter or so uh 10 years of history in their journeys um, Paul's about 50, 51 years old now. The year is is somewhere between 50 and 51 AD. And the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his second missionary journey, and he's approaching Athens. But but having just left Philippi and Macedonia, as we discussed at length over the last several days, um, Paul and Silas and St. Luke and Timothy, um, they now arrive in Thessalonica. And I want you to notice something, what we're told here 
is is that they continue to go to the synagogue. But I believe that the Holy Spirit began to show Paul uh, that it was a dying establishment. Because, again, like we talked about earlier, the events that we are looking at, and really on a more pastoral sense, (laughs) what we learn from this ourselves, is how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. It's not always easily discerned because we live our life and we, we, in many senses, you know, life happens to us instead of us happening to life. That one's for free for those of you who want to put that on a t-shirt. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) the question is, do we discern when we go through events uh, what it is that the Holy Spirit is teaching us and what we can learn from these events. If the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, and it is, Revelation 19.10, then the saint of God in the experiences of his life are living in many senses um, that very spirit of prophecy we are a living testimony of the power of God and our experiences are designed to reveal much to us on a personal note, but also given the times that any generation may find itself in, understanding the times and what we should do. This has always been a premise in the things of God. One of the things that I believe that God began to reveal to Paul nearing the end of his second journey after 10 years is when he took him to Philippi, what he what he would notice there, and we talked about this at length, was that there were no public houses of worship. There were no synagogues. And so the Holy Spirit, if you can see it, was already beginning to alter his understanding of the time. Alter his ability to see. He saw at such deep levels because he saw prophetically. When he leaves Philippi, which is totally controlled by the Gentile world, um, he, he establishes a church there, but there was no church there before. Neither were there any synagogues there. There was just a loosely uh, gathered sense that we got uh, of people that loved the Lord, but they had no public place of worship. So he begins to have, by the Holy Spirit, his concept of the gospel Uh, you know, moved into his thought processes in a much different way. You know, he writes at length about these things in in the book of Romans when he talks about uh, ministering to the Jew, ministering to the Gentile. But all of these events were formulative of his concept of Christianity and the gospel. He's learning from the very things that he experiences, and that is a mature believer. That is somebody that can understand whether you make good choices or bad choices, how the Spirit chooses to take the events of our life and speak to us in very deep ways. For the most part, we deal with those things on a personal note. But for the minister, it's a quite different thing altogether. And so the gospel continues to bear fruit. But as we get to Thessalonica, 
uh, in chapter 17 here, things begin to get much more intense. What we saw here, uh, as what Brother Jeremy just read, was that they came to Thessalonica and they go right to the synagogue. One of the things that we noticed there is that they passed from Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica. They went through those territories and there's no account of them seeking to, you know, to, to preach the gospel there. But they come to Thessalonica or the Thessalonica church where they will, they're going to found the church and they come to the synagogue. And I want you to just on a side note, notice here in verse Three. Can you read verse 3 to us, Brother Jeremy, again? Yes. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and, ri- and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. You know, for all of you um, cross-exclusive people out there, <laughs> and I don't want to belabor this point, But I want to show you what the Apostle Paul actually preached when he went into these territories. He didn't just preach Christ must needs have suffered. But he preached that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. So when you preach exclusively the cross of Calvary and you diminish the resurrection, which they try to deny today in some circles, but they do. I've got them on tape. I've got their CDs. I've got their commentary. You have totally diminished the gospel and removed the most chief component part, which is when Christ died, it's not enough to come into these territories like Paul did and just preach exclusively that he suffered and paid for my sins on Calvary. That's not where he stopped because we would have never known if the price that was paid on Calvary was legit and accepted by God, except he rose from the dead. And so understand when Paul goes and he's pioneering territory, his gospel contains all of it. His gospel contains the cross, and and it's it's inexorably tied to the resurrection. This should teach us something powerful here, because the two are the seeds by which fruit is born. It is why so many people are miserably trapped in bondages and addictions and and sins that they can't get over because they continue to focus on the cross as if it's some sort of supernatural element that you stare at until you get it. But the truth of the matter is, is it's there that we identify with our lower base nature and come to the conclusion that no man is worthy of the glorious gift of, of, of God the Father. And for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what we witness there on Calvary is that God himself, wrapped in human flesh, came and took that burden and that price uh, upon his shoulders and paid it for us. But then he leads us to the tomb so that we'll have the assurance that what was witnessed on Calvary was indeed accepted by the Father and testified by the Spirit called the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that indeed he is the Son of the living God. He's the Christ. And and that is what we see. And when we see that, our faith and the object of my faith is on the resurrection. 
I am, <laughs> Paul said it in chapter five, right? He said, uh, if, if, we, uh, if we are justified by Calvary, how much more are we saved by the resurrection? So again, I don't want to get into the whole cross debate here, but I just want to point out to you in chapter three, that the gospel that Paul preached included the cross, the resurrection, and the declaration that Jesus is the anointed one. He is the son of the living God. All three must be present in the gospel you preach, or it's not the gospel. Don't you agree, brothers? Amen. Jesus amen. said, I am the, resurrect- the resurrection. <laughs> yeah, amen. And you know, so it's, it's uh, you know, the, the, the fact is, without harping too much on it, right? Because I know you want to move on, Brother Marty, but... You know, I think men and women ministries have hijacked this message from Paul and made it their own and yeah. and interpreted it to their own, but they have not read the totality. And, 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 right. and you know that even from the, the, the incision in the book of Acts, their problem wasn't preaching Jesus that he had died. Their problem was preaching not that he resurrected. Right. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, yeah. yeah. Praise God. So check this out. So so what we see happening then, this message, uh, you have a mixture of response, right? In verse 4, can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. Now there's a statement there that's profound, and, and, and this is the direction we're headed in today which is we are looking, as we're approaching the election here in the United States, we are, we are seeing an increase of demonic activity for the spiritually sensitive as we're heading into the balance of this year. I don't want people to focus exclusively on election day because that's just another trigger point. The, the dangerous time is going to be the weeks afterwards because this is where we're headed. And we're going to see here in Thessalonica some incredible prophetic events. And the first thing that we need to understand here is that prophecy is active and being fulfilled in this story. And the Holy Spirit interjects here in verse 4 that uh, the devout Greeks, uh, a great multitude of the Greeks, of the Gentiles, were, are starting to get saved. And in the confines of establishment, the response to that fruit that is being born by the gospel is that the Jews don't believe and they begin to be moved with envy in an aggressive way toward this this new uh, fruit that's being born in the gospel that Paul's preaching. But what they couldn't see is is what the Lord was revealing there and why the Holy Spirit wrote it. The fact that the Gentiles were getting saved indicated that they were living in a prophetic time. Brother Jeremy, could you read to us uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5 and 6 again? Yes. Isaiah 49, 5 and 6. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant, 
to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So uh, there's so much there that we could discuss, but I don't want to get sidetracked. The point is, is that the prophetic scriptures contained here in the book of Isaiah are being fulfilled now in what we're seeing in Acts chapter 17. The Gentiles are getting saved. They're coming to the light of the gospel. And what we understand from this and what we can glean from this is that, again, we're talking about the foreshadows of the end of time here. We're talking about the events that occurred in the early church through the lives of these holy apostles and, and, and the early church uh, brothers and sisters, foreshadowing the end of time. And, and so in this sense, what we're witnessing here is that prophetic times have come to that generation of Acts chapter 17 and specifically to the establishment church represented by the Jews and Judaism. But they failed to recognize the prophetic times and actually fought against it. And with every choice and decision to refuse what God was doing, it furthered along within them demonic control that ultimately enslaved them and made them completely compliant with the global state, which was in existence at the time represented by the Roman Empire. Some of you might need to pause there and go back because, you know, <laughs> that was that was an intense thing that we just said there. Now, understand what we are seeing in these accounts are the beginning and the foreshadows of the end. So keep your mind in that way as we go on in this discussion. And also understand why the Holy Spirit brought Paul in this direction, because Thessalonica, uh, it, it, it will be a chief component in shaping the Apostle Paul's end-time doctrine. Fancy words, but basically what I'm saying is Paul's experiences amongst the Thessalonica, a year later he would write First and Second Thessalonians. So something happened there as he journeyed through Philippi into Thessalonica that shaped his doctrine. And when you read First and Second Thessalonians, you read more about the coming of the Lord and, and the end-time events than you do uh, quite possibly in many of his other scriptures. I mean, although he always elaborates it, but he specifically reveals detailed accounts of the resurrection, the last trumpet, the Antichrist, the working of Satan, the falling away of the church. All of it is written to the Thessalonians. And so that should alert us as students of biblical prophecy and the Bible itself that what we are witnessing here, the layers that we peel back, can we see what shaped his understanding? Can we see in these events things that foreshadow what the Bible has told us would happen in the end of time? And yes, we can. Like we said, it would be a year after he leaves Thessalonica uh, where he would end up after he goes through Athens in the Corinthian church. Uh, it is from there in Corinth that he would write First and Second Thessalonians, and and uh, which is also where he will he will stop preaching in the synagogues, and he will begin to exclusively focus on the Gentile world for the last ten years of his life. We can see that in Acts chapter five and six, uh, eighteen, verse five and six. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? 
Acts chapter yes. 18, verse 5 and 6, just for context here. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own head. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. So from the point of being in Thessal uh, in Thessal uh, amongst the Thessalonians to what you just read in Acts chapter 18, it's a little over a year that goes by. But in that time frame, he goes through Athens, he comes to Corinth, and, and many other things are taking place. But it he's he's only days away from making that statement, and then he finally does. He says that his ministry shifts and be, and and he becomes the exclusively really in my opinion uh and and in the scriptural re, uh you know revelation here uh as the apostle to the gentiles he basically told them i i'm not guilty of your your blood i've tried and tried and tried all across the developed world here and you continue to reject the gospel i'm going to the gentiles what's interesting in verse 5 is it says he was pressed in his spirit right brother jeremy Yes. Verse 5 says Paul was yes. pressed in his spirit. And what did that pressing do? He testifies to the Jews that Jesus, is, right, to the, that Jesus is the Christ. Now, we can't let that go by because this is all part of the same flow that we're talking about here. What that indicates to us, again, uh, and, and we're looking at it from the lens of prophetic events and insight into our time, Paul began to understand by the Holy Spirit, the time was running out on the establishment, on the established religious church of his day. Understand that the Jews in the account of the book of Acts, they represent exactly uh, what we see at the end of time, only they were the only church at the time, right? And so they became the establishment church. They became lock, stock, and barrel under the heel of the Roman Empire, a foreshadow of the global system. And, and we'll talk a little bit about more of that in a second here, but the point is this. Paul was being pressed in the spirit that their, their time was running out to turn and to truly receive what the gospel was preaching. And so we are witnessing the same thing happening right now. The Lord has been moving by his spirit for decades now in this country and across the West. And he's been pleading with the church. There's a pressing and a, and a feeling in the spirit, a sense in the spirit that time is running out on organized establishment religion. It has so compromised itself and so intertwined itself in the political uh, ideology of the day that it is in essence losing its opportunity to become that that living organism of what the church is meant to be. And so what is being preached to the establishment, to establishment religion of all sorts, you can label it whichever way you want, Baptist, Methodist, you know, Pentecostal, Charismatic, whatever you want, call it. There is a hierarchy. There is a structure. There are synagogues or churches, if you will, all across the land. But if you come in there with this message of the imminent return of the Lord, Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. That's literally what that means. They are all up against such preaching. 
but there are there is a component in there that that uh, represented by the by the many Greeks and Gentiles that were getting saved. They are the remnant. They hear the message, and they're coming out. They're really no longer welcome in the confines of what has morphed into establishment religion in our time. They're not welcome there. And as a matter of fact, you can't be welcome there because it's corrupt. Now, this is the issue that we're coming to. This conclusion that the Apostle Paul made here in, in chapter 18, verse 5 and 6, he didn't come there easily. As a matter of fact, his whole life he would deal with it. Because he came out from that system, and he would always want them to turn, and he would always write about it. He, he even talked about, if I could give my soul in exchange for my brothers, the Jews who have rejected the gospel, he said, I would. That's intense. So we know that, that he didn't ultimately uh, you know, reject them out of hand and say, I'll never go to them again, because there, of course many Jews would get saved, but they are a remnant. And he would later write about the Jew and the Gentile becoming one different kind of creation as the two would come together and become the church of the living God. But for all intents and purposes, here he's being pressed into a different focus and a separation from establishment religion into something new, a new expression of the true church of Jesus Christ. I hope you understand what I'm telling you here. I hope you can think deep enough to see what it is that the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. Because what we are witnessing now is a calling out of people, people who love God, who hear the gospel, who have a, have a, have a, have a sense, maybe they're not able to give complete definition to what it is that they're sensing, but when they hear it, they know it. It bears witness with their heart. And we are witnessing a radical uh, repeat on a global scale of what we are witnessing in the book of Acts. So, pressed in the spirit, time is running out. And, and, <laughs> and though the Jewish establishment rejects the Lord, yet, like we said, there is a remnant that receives him. But, but that's for another day. Go ahead, brother. What were you going to say? I have a question. Is there a similarity here to the parable that Jesus gave about the wedding banquet? when uh you know the king makes an invitation to his guests who refuse to go and you know they all put excuses right uh and then after uh they even they even treat his servants dis uh, despitefully spitefully right and after he yeah. doesn't go to the byways and highways right is there a similarity right. to what, what you're talking about with paul now going to the gentiles with what jesus said yeah, and it, well, yes, but again, in that parable of the Lord, we can't forget that that parable is, is specifically designed to represent the end of time, because I think the parable you're referencing, he says that he makes a banquet, and then he mm -hmm. says that he sends his servants out and says, come for all things are now ready, right? Right, right. And, and, and then he says they all began to make excuse as to why they couldn't show up, <laughs> But yeah, I right. think you're right. I think, it, it, again, you can see it, it, you know, played out in, in how the Jews rejected it, you know, uh, and then and, and then at the same time, uh, if you fast forward it to, to the fuller context of what he's saying, he's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're looking right. at an end time, an end time parable, because remember, again, 
we see Jesus at, in, in the book of Revelation uh, in the final church that's revealed there, standing on the outside of the church house, knocking on the door. <laughs> right, like trying to come in, you know, like I'm here, I'm outside, somebody opened the door, but nobody comes to the door, you know, so yeah, it's both, brother, that's a good point, and 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 it doesn't do any, you know, violence to what we're talking about here, it really does fit hand in hand, because in essence, that's true, bro, he, he, brother, he, he actually did uh, extend an invitation uh, to them, uh, but they who were originally invited uh, they missed out, right? <laughs> so he did go right. to the highways and the byways to the Gentile church. But again, let's not forget the spirit of what Christ was revealing there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in the eyes of God, the last days began when Jesus came into the earth, right? That's what the book right. of Hebrews tells us. God who in sundry times and in diverse manners spoke unto us in times past through the holy prophets, right? He says he has in these last days spoken unto us by his only son. So the last days uh, actually have been around since Jesus was born in a manger, right? <laughs> That's how God has spoken. But go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm listening, brother. Yes. Amen. Amen. And so, so there's a difference between the last days that we've emphasized over these last several months and the end times, the end of days. Right, which is what Gabriel reveals to, to, to the prophet Daniel. He doesn't call him the last days. Let, let's take a look at that, Brother Jeremy. It's one of your favorite scriptures, I know, uh, in Daniel uh, chapter 12, I think it is. Yeah. Praise you, Lord. We're just going through the Bible, brothers and sisters. <laughs> my, my, my. Let's take a look here. All right. You can tell I'm mad at the devil, right? I'm in a feisty mood today. Listen. Um, Praise God. Amen. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a fighting mood today, man. I'm so sick of this, these people out here that are ungodly and attack the Lord. And, I mean, I just, anyway, I don't want to get started. So the difference between the last days and the time of the end is what is emphasized to the prophet Daniel uh, in verse yes. 3 and 4. Could you read that to us, brother, in verse 3 and 4? Yes. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro in knowledge shall be increased. So the phrase time of the end is different than last days. And 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 that is that is what we are living in. And like we've talked about before, uh what was being revealed to Daniel was that the book of prophecy that he was writing concerning the time of the end was not for him, which is extraordinary when you think about it, to understand it. Nothing had ever been withheld from him, but it was re it was reserved for an end time generation. And he said it would be a time when they run to and fro, and knowledge would be vastly increased. In other words, the ability for mankind to move and travel would change. And he said that would be a marker that you've reached the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. 
is is not just prophetic knowledge, but but general intelligence would be vastly increased is how it, it really should read. And then again in chapter 12, uh, verse 9 and 10. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So so, so that people don't think that, you know, the wise is some exclusive, you know, uh, <laughs> gathering of people on a mountaintop, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he, you know, it, it is those that fear the Lord in the time of the end, he said, that will begin to understand. But notice that it's tied to purification and trial. Right. You know, the, the same thing uh, happened in the, in the in the early church, right? I mean, they were they were being purified and tried through their times. And what emerged, right? And what emerged out of the apostles uh was 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 doctrine of the second coming of the lord see they understood that their times were foreshadowed that even though they were experiencing what they were experiencing you know what began to emerge in the early church was a sense that that this is what the prophets were talking about that that we've come to the time of the end they thought it was then and you can't fault them for that because the truth of the matter is is that they were living up under a system of the Roman Empire and 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 a and and man God worship like the Antichrist will be worshipped not too many days from now in the cult of the Caesars, and so they actually and then the persecution that was that was running around they actually thought that that was it, and then when you begin to read the the, the letters of the apostles they began to understand something. In the historical events that they were experiencing, the trials, the purification, the fire of their times, they began to, as they matured, began to understand that they needed to correct the doctrine of the early church and begin to en enlarge their understanding and point them to a far distant future. Peter would call it a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. He would talk about, uh, James would say, you know, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but he's, he's patient, waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. So he talked about a great harvest yet to be realized throughout time. And Paul would talk to the very Thessalonians that we're discussing, and he would say, you know, don't let any man deceive you as if the resurrection has already happened. He says, that's not, that's not the case, you know, and, and, and you know, there's, there's much more to come. And, he, and then he, he, in Second Thessalonians, he begins to reveal the Antichrist, and he talks about a church that is falling away. Those thoughts were shaped by the events that they experienced. See, he saw in the rebellious Jewish establishment church of the time the only expression of of, of religion at the time, you know, the, which represented the monotheistic God in, you know, it, 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 you know, the opposite of, of the multiple pantheistic philosophies of the day. They were the only establishment that really worshipped the one true God. Yet he saw in their aggressive uh, persecution of the gospel a, a foreshadow of the falling away of the end time church. 
<laughs> so, so anyway, it's the end time that we're focused on. And the end is always declared from the beginning. Isn't that right? Yes. Even, uh, uh, even Jesus in chapter 24 tells us in verse 15 that when you see, you know, these things develop, right? He even points us, right, to go mm -hmm. to the book of Daniel, right? So that we yes. can understand. In other words, what you were talking about, what's reserved for this end time generation, right? And 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 it's pretty cool what you're bringing out right now, but not. I, mean, I don't mean it. I mean it's pretty cool. It's 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 tremendous what you're bringing. That's the right word. Mm -hmm. What you're bringing out, how these events. That's what you're saying in the Book of Acts. That, yeah. That you know the Apostle Paul and the disciples went through was there to shape them and show them of what in type and shadow of what would come to us in the in the end. See, we we always preach. You know, we got to go back to the book of Acts once again. God's <laughs> going to move. <laughs> we don't even know what we're saying. I mean, and I've said it myself, too. And yet God yeah, is going man. to move. But we're, we're beginning to, as you said, we're taking layers, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And I know it's him, you know, beginning to pull layers to under better understand really what was taking place in the book of Acts. And, and really, because that's what's going to be. Just as it was in the book of Acts, it shall be for us at the end. You know, and, and that's tremendous, you know, how you started this, this Bible study. Many times we go through times and events in our lives and and we can miss it. Really what the Holy Spirit is trying to show us, right? Yes. That's what, that's yes. what you started the, 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 the Bible study. And so I just think it's very uh, tremendous, uh, cool, right. uh, for those of you from yeah. California, uh, cool, um, <laughs> the, the things that you're, you're, you're talking about. <laughs> Amen. And in case we just have some people joining us uh, lately, the principle that we're, we're, we're taking from the scripture, from the prophets, is, uh, read that to us, Brother Jeremy, it's in Isaiah uh, 46. Uh, could you read to us verse 9 and 10? Yeah, it's, it's the classic lens. It's the classic uh, template that we use. And it's not something we've made up. It, it's coming directly from God's prophets. Could you read that to us? Yes. Uh, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall st stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us there in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, number one, remember the former things of old. He calls our, our understanding uh, to what happened in the past. And then he takes it even further, speaking by the Spirit of God, saying that I declare the end. And we just read in Daniel chapter 12 what the end is, right? It's the end of time. I declare the end of time from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. So it's a, it's a template. It's how we have to uh, lay it on top of our scriptural interpretation. If we Now, I'm not talking to you about, you know, Bible 101 here. Uh, this is through a lifetime of growth in the Lord. But we're being accelerated by the Spirit uh, to understand things so that the collective 
uh, whether you're young, old, or in between in your experience with Christ, if you take these principles and apply them and do due diligence to yield to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, suddenly the scripture begins to come alive in, in not just a one, one or two dimensional way, but in a multi-dimensional way. Were you going to say something, brother? Yeah, no, that's tremendous. And even even when we take from what Joel said, you know, it, you know, we focus, you know, the prophecy of Joel, right? And then in the last days, right, he would pour yeah. out his spirit and they would prophesy. We, we just link that to a, a um, how do you say, brother, like an emotion? A, yeah. um, what's, what's the word? Somebody help me out. But it's talking about something more. Because yeah. it is by the Spirit, like you said, that opens up these things to prophesy. Prophecy has to do with end time, with cycles in the Word of God. And we just yeah. link it to a to a move, right, or to a feeling. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to speak in tongues. And, and yeah, I guess you could say all of that. Yeah, all of that is involved in that. But it's, it's much more than that. If you take, as yeah. you said, as you take, if you take the layers out, he's speaking of the Spirit revealing the end. Hallelujah to this generation. Yeah. My, my. What you just said is, is really powerful there, Brother Jeremy, because that is precisely what the Lord Jesus Christ told us when he said, and we talked about this a few days ago, when he told his disciples at the Passover supper, his last meal or the last supper, whatever you want to call it, the last supper, um, <laughs> respectfully so, um, he told them, he said, listen, I have so many things that I want to tell you, uh, but you can't hear them now. Yeah, You're not baby. capable of of hearing them, right? He yeah. said, so So then he goes on and tells them, it's better for you that I leave. Because if I don't leave, the, 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 the person of the Holy Spirit, which is the integral component that you need to understand divine things, he won't come. But if I go away, I'll send him to you. And he's going to do several things. He's going to comfort you. He's going to correct you. He's going to counsel you and lead you and guide you into all the truth. He's not going to initiate any attention toward himself, but he's only going to speak to you what he hears uh, the conversation between the Father and the Son is, which is found in the Word of God, by the way. And he is going to show you the future. He's going to show you things that are yet to come. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And like you said, Brother Jeremy, so so wonderfully there, what has what the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit has been relegated to in our time is an emotion or a speaking in tongues. It's gone so far as to tell people in the charismatic Pentecostal church, they call them forward, and then they try to teach them how to speak in tongues. Mm. It's just ridiculous. Mm. I mean, on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit actually came, was anybody doing a class on how to speak in tongues? I mean, nobody. <laughs> it, it, this is this is precisely what we're talking about. So it, it requires the Spirit and His instruction to teach us. And so these things, like we just read in Isaiah chapter forty-six and nine and ten, are the principles of Scripture that unlock to us in time understanding. Now let's take a little deeper with that in mind. Because when Paul comes into Thessalonica and he begins to preach the gospel, he's there for three weeks, 21 days. Very interesting that the emphasis is 21 days. It sets a prophetic tone. Remember, Daniel sought understanding from, from God for 21 days. Do you remember? 
and he talked about <laughs> he talked about the conflict between principalities and powers over the geographical territory where they found themselves in. He he talked about the the uh, the spirit or the, the the prince of the Medes and the Persians, and he talked about the prince of Grecia and that they were struggling. He talked about uh, the angel Gabriel when he finally comes and reveals to Daniel what was going on. He says, from the moment that you set yourself to pray. Uh, your prayer was heard, and I was dispatched to bring you understanding, but I was withheld for 21 days. Uh, I was fighting with principalities and powers over this territory. And Michael himself, you could, you guys can read that on your own time in chapter 9, I think it is, 9 or 10, somewhere in there, of the book of Daniel, where the archangel Michael had to come and assist Gabriel uh, in this warfare in order to bring prophetic understanding into the earth. But it was a 21-day period. So if you can see it, the emphasis of the Holy Spirit here in, in verse 2 is that Paul, as his manner was or his custom was, he went to them and for three Sabbath days, that's three times seven, right? The Sabbath is the seventh day, right? So for three weeks, he preaches. Three times seven is 21. And if you can see it, the Holy Spirit is alerting our attention to what's about to happen in Thessalonica is akin <laughs> to a prophetic, uh, you know, conflict as well as a prophetic event that is going to shape the understanding of the Apostle Paul when he writes First and Second Thessalonians, much of which deals with the second coming of the Lord the revealing of the Antichrist, the working of Satan, the falling away of the church. It's extraordinary what's actually happening here. Any thoughts? Don't all jump in at once. <laughs> now listen. So what do we see here, man? What is the reaction of the Jews? And now we're going to apply it to our time because we were just taught that by Isaiah. To take what happened in the beginning and apply it to the end. Look what happens. Now, remember, the Jews are the only church in existence at the time as far as it represents the establishment. They are a foreshadow of what the book of Revelation would later reveal would become a large-scale ecumenical expression of Christianity morphed into all the religions of the world. They become part of the establishment. So what we already begin to see is that the Jews begin to attack the true church. They're the false church of their time. And there is a false church well entrenched right now in our time, if you can see it. Mm -hmm. It's propelled by the most powerful representative of Christian establishment there is. It's propelled by the Vatican. It's propelled by the Pope. It is the most powerful representation of Christianity on a global scale that there is. Now, for the Protestant mind, most people can't think in terms like that because you weren't raised Catholic. You don't know the Catholic Church's history. You don't know its integral, uh, you know, uh, part that it played in history in the shaping of religious uh, concepts of what Christianity is. We do know in the Protestant world of the Great Reformation the priest Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the wall uh, of the church in, in Germany and, and the rise of the Protestant Reformation. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that what we see in the Vatican is a morphing uh, of a false church on a global scale 
meshing itself with a political body. That's what we're going to see happens here in Thessalonians. And the false Protestant church is yielding itself to the Vatican. I don't know how much the church is actually paying attention in this country because most people are just caught up in their own lives. But if you actually do some study and, and, and just take a look at what's happened over just the last couple of years, there is a there is a pseudo healing taking place as the as the as the long arm of the Vatican is reaching out to bring these wayward children, as they call them, in the Protestant mm-hmm. community back under mm-hmm. the fold of the Catholic uh, domain. And they have made a calculated decision to embrace other forms of Christianity in order to, to position and jockey themselves as the supreme authority that flows from the papacy itself in conjunction with the global uh, state uh, and, 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 and the United Nations and, and the other uh, political and military bodies around the world right now, if you have eyes to see. And so what happens in verse 5, we are witnessing it again. Can you can you read that verse five? Look what they do. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Notice what they begin to do. I've said a lot leading up to this uh, concerning the prophetic lens. But we are seeing the same spirit here. When they move to attack the true church, they don't do it themselves. What they did was they went and got what they call lewd fellows of the base resort. Gangs. Mm -hmm. Violent gangs roving the streets we are seeing the same thing happening right now call it what you want blm antifa marxist socialist whatever you want to call them they're roving the streets right now and who are they focused on they're focused on the church the real christian church that's what they're doing and here in, in, in verse 5, we're seeing a foreshadow of, of the larger revelation that's given to us in Revelation 13. Uh, and, it's, and, it's, <laughs> and it's revealed in Revelation 13.10 as the faith and the patience of the saints. There will be an attack of a false church, uh, and there will be a component of, of roving, riotous gangs uh, that, that, that rose up in the book of Acts. The same thing is happening now. Now, read to us verse 7, Brother brother Jeremy 6 and 7, would you? And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. <laughs> My goodness. If that's not prophetic enough for you, I don't know what is. Mm. It's <laughs> obvious what's going on here, man. It's obvious what's going on here. Listen, again, like they did in Philippi, 
they are attacking uh, the true gospel based on global law. Again, he said it, the decrees of Caesar. This is global law. This is, this is a foreshadow of the global law predicted in the book of Revelation chapter 13. And Paul saw it. Paul understood it. He would write about it, First and Second Thessalonians. But here, again, we're, for the purposes of our study, what we're witnessing is the mode of attack. I'm really struggling how, how flat out, <laughs> uh, you know, I can be about what I want to say to y'all and what our brothers are saying. Uh, but, but understand, the days that are just ahead of us are going to be tied to legislation and law. Persecution that's coming, again, the book of, book of Acts is revealing to us, is going to be instituted by a false church. Uh, those like Brother Fernando, you were talking about this the other day. You know, you were saying about what you've been noticing and, and witnessing uh, of what's actually coming down, this state religion that will be allowed to exist, uh, and, and, and that the threat will be the removing of their 5013C nonprofit status and that the rubber is hitting the road and you're going to have to decide. You know, and, and, and this is what we're seeing here. The basis for existence right. and the basis by which they attack the church is global law and Caesar's decrees. Were you going to say something, brother? No, no, that, that's that's exactly what I was uh, uh, saying. So I was just agreeing to that. Um, that. That's exactly what has to happen. It's what we're what we're seeing in in this story leading up to, uh, um, you know, to 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 Athens, right? Uh, yes. So, so that's exact. Everything you're saying is spot on. We're gonna have to make a decision. Uh, yes. The the ecumenical Christian apostate church is going to give mm -hmm. themselves over to this state-ran church. And and it's not just going to be the Christian church in it. It's going to be the Catholics, Muslims. Every major religion will conform their beliefs and have one religion and one mind. Incredible. Absolutely. And so, and so that's what – go ahead, brother. No, and just to point out what we pointed out right uh, the last couple of days is that it's not even a it's not even the the sake of you being a Christian. That's the reason why you're going to be um, persecuted. It's it's the exclusivity of the message that claims that Jesus alone, right, is the answer. That's, that's the problem that they have. So you can right, you know so, so 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 that's why most of these Christians are going to be able to fit in. You're not going to be persecuted. You're going, to, you're going to be all right as long as you subject yourself and you don't preach Jesus. <laughs> you know, uh, well, you know, that, 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 that what, what confronts the culture, what confronts government, that's what I'm speaking about. Not, not this gospel of, you know, Jesus is nice, Jesus loves you, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. It's, you know, you're going to be able to do what, you know, to have your religion. Just don't yes. preach the exclusivity. And I just, you know, just to, again, reiterate that, because that's what was said, you know, in these last podcasts of what you're saying right now. Both, both, of you are, both of you are saying things right there that are so important to understand. We're talking to our brothers and sisters and whoever's going to listen to this podcast in the coming days. 
as long as they let us talk like this. <laughs> Listen, right. uh, let's take a look again. Chapter, in verse 5, we're, in verse 5, we're witnessing the Antifa of their day. Wow. The lewd fellow, the baser sort, the riotous company. What did they do? They came into the neighborhoods. Uh, see, I don't know how honest we can get here with what's coming to you. Don't think your little suburban gated community is going to uh, immunize you from what's coming. <laughs> see? <laughs> My Lord, God help me. We probably just lost the rest of our audience right there. But okay, listen. These guys are nuts, right? We're just nuts. No, I'm reading you to the book of Acts, man. <laughs> That's what it says in the book of Acts. That's what they did, right? They came into to the neighborhood where Jason's house was. They came to his house. They didn't, they didn't just you know, hang out in the marketplace. They came to his house, these lewd fellows. In case you've been asleep the last several months, don't you know what they're planning to do? Haven't you seen it already? They've already sent little little excursion parties into different parts across our country in different neighborhoods. The reports are all over the place. But they go unnoticed by the, the slumbering masses. They are intending to come after us. Listen to me. That is what is being revealed here. We just talked to you about Isaiah 46, 9, and 10, and God telling us, understand the beginning uh, is a foreshadow of the end. This is the beginning of the church. The end of the church age will be like this as well. Now, let's take it a little deeper in verse 5. Because it says that the Jews moved with envy. They went to this group of lewd fellows and roving gangs, right? This, this <laughs> They went to them. Now, we need to look behind the curtain here for our time. See, there are powers that be that are allowing what we see taking place in the streets of Philadelphia, Portland, Seattle, L.A., New York. Just go across the country. There are powers that be behind the curtain that, that are allowing these lewd fellows of a baser sort to roam the landscape for a purpose. To destroy the light and to initiate the decrees of Caesar. See, <laughs> now another thing, what do we learn here in verse 6? When they found them not, they were looking for the leadership. Oh, my goodness. God help me here. Mm -hmm. They were looking for the leadership. When they found them not, what did they do? They drew Jason and the brothers out. See, this is guilt by association. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Brother Marty. Amen. So again, notice the aggressive nature that, that they're going to his private house. They're looking for the leadership. Don't think they don't know where we are. For all of you 
happy Facebook people and Twitter people and and, and Instagram people, you, you you have been telling them for years where you live and what you do and what you like. They know where you are. Don't think you're going to hide. They know everything about you. Now, listen, we need to wake up, church. Right. Don't think you're going to be safe at your house. Jason wasn't safe in his house. You know, in these times, we need to be ready, spiritually ready and mentally ready. Now, what I like about this, and if you can see it, if you're not in a hurry because it's Friday, listen, it, they went to Jason's house and they got him and the brothers, and they brought them uh, to the to the ruling elite. They brought them to the court system. Now, listen, what what is not said here, but what is beautiful, and it is said, is that up under this intense scrutiny, they didn't give up Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, did they? No. <laughs> they didn't give them up. We see a unity of fellowship here and a preservation and a strength and a courage here of newly born converts, by the way, <laughs> up under a society gone mad. Jason and the brothers didn't give up Paul and Silas and, and Timothy and Luke. They, they didn't give them up. These have turned the world upside down, they said. And then and then verse 7, again, the basis of their argument is even more prophetic. It's even more uh, global. It's book of Revelation right here uh, in verse 7. Can you read verse 7 again, what, what they said, Brother Jeremy? Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Incredible. So, first of all, the book of Revelation teaches us about this ecumenical pseudo-Christian uh, morphing with the state. Revelation 13, 11, you can read it on your own time. The same thing is happening here in the book of Acts. They're, they're appealing on the basis of the global state and the decree of a foreshadow of the Antichrist, Caesar himself. This is a false church. And the false church is driving the persecution. When you read Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 through 18, what you see there is a false prophet that looks Christian. And what he does is lend weight and power to a pre-existing political and military system. And he turns over all who won't be part of it under the guise of the law in the sight of the system. We'll look at that, but you go study that on yourself. That's exactly what's going on in Revelation chapter 13. That's what's happening here. They bring them before the court, this false church, and they and they persecute them based on global law. It's the false church that's driving the persecution. And again, like Brother Jeremy said earlier, the issue is the true gospel. That's what it's coming down to. That's what's happening. The gospel is a threat more now than it's ever been. Why, Brother Marty? Why is the gospel such a threat? <laughs> the gospel is a threat to this, the whole trip of this end-time globalist mentality. Because as long as men's hearts are in another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, their allegiance is there and not to the state and subsequently not to the devil himself. 
and they can't control a man whose allegiance is for another king. The issue is the true gospel. That's what's being attacked. That is what is standing in the way. That is where the scrutiny is coming. That is where the trial is. Many will be purified. Many will be tried. The wicked won't understand what's going on. They're called the wicked. He's not talking about the sinners. He's talking about the wicked in the house of God. They won't be able to handle the scrutiny because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. But here we see a group of brethren, Jason and the brethren, it says, they didn't give up Paul. They didn't give up Silas. What are we being taught here? <laughs> wow. We've seen it before. It's history repeating itself. So once they appeal to the global law, look what happens in verse 8. What happens, brother? Verse 8, could you read that to us? And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. What troubled them was that that what they went on to say and argue in the court was that they're doing contrary to the decree of Caesar. So we're talking about a foreshadow of the Antichrist. That's what troubled the people. Two groups are defined here, the ruling elite and the, and the masses. The great unwashed masses, as Steve Bannon says, <laughs> the, the masses, right? The, it troubled the people, it troubled the rulers. But this is, this is uh, what we learn from this is, this is comprehensive fear and indoctrination, right? They're fully indoctrinated and they're absolutely terrified of Caesar and the global state. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk at big game. It reminds me of the of that talking, you know, the guy who talks a big game in school when we were in, kids in school. You know, I could take him. I could tell he ain't nothing, blah, 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 right? And then all of a sudden when he's standing in front of the big bully, you know, he, he runs and hides because he's all talk. Well, that's what's going to be revealed in this time. You're either going to fade into the background of insignificance and endanger your soul or you're going to, to stand in the strength of the Holy Spirit and boldly proclaim there's only one king, and his name isn't Caesar. <laughs> his name Hallelujah. is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. You know, uh, Jesus would, would, would say that prophetically of what you're talking about. Uh, in, in Matthew 24, when he said that many... Uh, shall be offended and shall betray one another mm, and shall good, yeah. hate one another, right? Mm -hmm. Brother yeah. against brother, right? Father against yeah. son, you know, and, and so forth. So, that's Jeremy, that's, that's, that's a powerful scripture you just quoted there because uh, what does that reveal to us? We have to ask the question, why will many hate each other? Why will many betray each other? What was Jesus telling them? Right. He's talking about the level. This is real deal stuff here, man. You know, and again, we're not trying to frighten you. We're trying to prepare first ourselves in our house as well as, you know, throw some ideas out there for you to consider. You know, you do with this, this, these, these thoughts and these, these discussions what you will. But as the days go forward, it's going to become more increasingly apparent to all of us. We are in the end of time. We have reached the final church age. 
we are right here. The fact that we can talk about these things the way we are right now and apply them to the newspaper of our time, <laughs> that ought to be some sort of a signal to let us know. We, we have entered these days. How far along we are, I don't know. But it, every single day is going to reveal more and more where we're at. And we need to learn from what the brothers did up under these times so we know how to navigate ourselves. What did they do, brother, in verse 10? Can you read that to us? Yeah, brother Marty, and it's contrary to the, the kind of gospel that's being preached behind pulpits today. I, I was speaking to a Christian, uh, a so-called Christian here locally, and we were talking about the times and, and, and you know, I guess we got into politics. I didn't want to, but that's where it, that's where it went. <laughs> Um, and you know, she, she was, you know, we were speaking about, I was speaking more about the, the, the enemy's agenda, right? Yeah. And she was talking about more political agenda. And I said, you know what? The truth of the matter is these, these lifestyles are sins that are being promoted. Yes. You know what I mean? And so yeah. she was saying, well, we got to love everybody. Like they can be <laughs> homosexual. Well, you know, they can have abortions, but as a Christian, I just have to love them. Uh, I'm not going to judge them. And I was like, well, th I knew exactly what church she went to, and she confirmed it, because that's exactly what they preached there. But the only reason they preached that kind of message is to get people inside the doors, right? Wow. It's a numbers okay. game. But, but, but again, like that verse uh, Pastor Jeremy just quoted, you know, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. You're going to betray one another. I mean, this is what the Bible says, what Jesus said right. that would take place in the last days. So for you to take the approach, I'm just going to love everybody, do it at your own peril, because they're definitely yeah. not going to love you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they're not. They're coming but, after brother, you. Go ahead, brother. And, and something I want to add, too, is that what we're speaking about is not, you know, it's not just what was happening in that region of the book of Acts. Almost everywhere that Paul went, he yeah. was met with the same resistance. And I, I want to point something else out, too, that, that just hit me. I, I forgot to mention it to you. And that's what Jesus said. Look what he said. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. Not check, uh, and Sorry about that. And ye shall be hated of all nations talking about a global a global uh thing that's going to happen for my name's sake that that's right. that's the way i interpret it he shall be hated you shall be hated of all in other words this is not just going to be a city thing like you said you, there's no good there's not going to be a place uh where to hide right even right. if you say i'm going to move to some place in uh i don't know i'm not even going to mention I mean, guatemala there you go guatemala there's <laughs> not going to be no place there's not going to be a place that you can hide. This is this is going to be a global thing. It says, right. you shall be hated of all nations. And, and I think that's very interesting that it's not just a particular location, but literally it's going to be a global thing that all nations conspiring against the people of God, yeah. the true believers. Yes, the well, I don't know what, what, what version of the Bible you're reading, brother, but... Um... Mine says, you shall be hated of all nations except for America. America is going to love you. Oh, my yeah, Lord. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> is that the message Bible or something? Who knows? That's the message know. Bible. Yeah, I'm just being facetious. Right. We, we got to have a little levity here. This is some heavy stuff we're talking about. <laughs> no, I mean, I it's you. all nations, brother. 
it's all nations that's going to hate us. And let me just throw something in the mix here, and let, maybe you guys talk about this too. What we have seen the evangelical community do in attaching itself to a political movement in the name of Jesus Christ has worked far greater damage toward the uh, the public concept of Christianity than anything could have ever done. Because when they're out of power, which might be just a couple of days from now, or a couple of weeks from now, we don't know. You know, it's up to God what's going to happen. But, but should the hands of power shift, who do you think they're going to come at the most ferociously? But those who, who, who attached uh, the pseudo uh, representation of Christianity to political power walking the halls of the White House and the such. You know, they're going to hate us. They hate us already because of who who's out there uh, supposedly representing us, right? Oh, it's why he put Lydia in the house back in Philippi, I'm telling you. Praise right. the Lord. Yes. Now listen, in, in, in verse 9, we see the protection of the Holy Spirit. What does verse 9 say, Brother Jeremy? Verse 9. And when they had taken security of of Jason and of the other, they let them go. So, you know, what we learn from this is there will be times when we will come up under intense scrutiny, but but no one can touch us until the Holy Spirit says so, <laughs> if at all, right? Because their lives were on the line here. Make no mistake about it. It was under the penalty of death. These are decrees against what Caesar is saying here. That's what they were saying. They went to his house and took him out. And they know that he's hiding Paul. They know that he's hiding Silas and Timothy and, and, and Luke. They know it. Where are they? You can imagine the conversation. You know where they are. I mean, you can imagine what they're telling them, right? I mean, they didn't say nothing. Nothing. Praise God for that. So then verse 10, what happens? And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Again. So now, but what do we learn from verse 10? See, what we are seeing here uh, is, 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 is protection uh, under their own times. Now, what do we learn from this? Listen, the actions of the true church, we learn from what they did. See, and, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there, and you can, if you can see it, you can see it. What they were doing was contrary to the law. They broke the law. Make no mistake right. about it. They broke Caesar's law in protecting Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. They broke the law. Right. They They were contrary to the law. And we're going to be asked the question, uh, if it comes up under it, I mean, even even when they brought them before the rulers of the city, they lied. Where are, where's Paul? Where's, where's these men that are upset? I don't know. I have no idea where they're at. They knew where they were at. You know, uh, Brother Marty. Um, Go ahead, Brother. <laughs> I was speaking with Pastor the other day, and he brought up a great point. Maybe you want to share it, Pastor, uh, concerning Darius, who who was who loved Daniel, you know, who respected him, who 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 held him in high you know regard. But behind Darius, as much as he loved Daniel, there was men that were 
uh, very inspiring, excellent in law. You know, they understood yes. law, and they were trying to get the king to to kind of handcuff himself in, in the laws that he was making to ultimately bring down Daniel. And, and you brought up, and you could, you could you could talk about it. That what makes us think that this is not mm-hmm. taking place with the current president? Right. Absolutely, right. brother. Yeah, and if you want to go yeah. ahead and touch on that some more. Yeah, and that's a great point, brother Fernando. Um, that, that you know, I, let me let me. I'm I'm gonna own this thing that I'm gonna say. You know that you don't have, you guys don't have to attach yourself to. But you know, e- e- even whoever wins the presidency, even if we the one that we want as Christians to win, or many Christians want to win, if you think that's gonna give you another four years of mercy and that no persecution is gonna come because of that win of presidency, you got something coming for you. And it's and it's not it has to even have to do with the president wanting to persecute Christians. It's the people that are conspiring and all these laws that are being passed. You know they have right. to go to the presidency are going to come, but later they're going to come and and affect you. As Darius loved Daniel, he was you know he didn't understand what was happening behind the scenes. There was people conspiring against Daniel, and in the end. He could not stop it. It was the law of the meat and the Persians. He could not, you know, as much. He even tried to say, you know, no, no, don't, you know, don't put him in the uh, Daniel and the lion's den. But he could not stop it. And, and that's and that's and, and that's what the that's the whole point of what we're trying to say. If you're voting thinking that that's going to give you four more years of mercy or or and no persecution is going to come against the church, then I I don't know what. Uh, I mean, I don't know what you're drinking or something because the, there's things <laughs> that are happening. It don't matter who's the president. It really right. doesn't. You no, know, they're drinking the Kool Aid. The Kool Aid. <laughs> <The Kool-Aid. laughs> yeah, no. Thank you. Yeah, the, the 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 Jesus loves Trump Kool Aid. You know, uh, and uh, you know, being facetious, but it's the truth. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of Christians are drinking that Kool Aid. As that conversation you said, brother Fernando, you had with this particular person. Who doesn't see it goes to church, yet has fallen into the deception. So it's just something to consider. You know, if we think that if a certain president wins, uh, we're, we're we're not or, or a candidacy presidency that's going to win, we're not going to have no persecution. Uh, read the book of Daniel and read that story of Darius and what happened to Daniel, who was put in the lion's den, and by a king who loved him but could not stop it. Because of the law, which you've been talking, what you have been talking about right now, brother uh, Marty. But you bring up a yeah, good I, point, brother. You know, I mean, look at the extent the early church went to uh, uh, possibly breaking the law to, to you know, uh, keep safe the men of God. Um, mm-hmm. This happened in the early church. Again, what makes us think that we're exempt from it here in America? It's happening in China. I guarantee that. Absolutely. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's True. that's that's what we're talking about right now. I mean, let, let's just let's just take a few seconds here and talk about that because, you know, what we're learning again from the actions of the early church, uh, they were willing uh, to break the law to protect the servants of God. Think of this: had they had they turned them over out of fear, had they given them up to the system, they were going to kill them. That's what they wanted to do: to kill right. them. Right. And and so when the law goes contrary to to your conscience, will you break it? 
again, that's just a thought we're throwing out there is like, you know, what this is what we're seeing here. See, we read past these stories and we don't let the Holy Spirit teach us. This is what we're seeing. We're seeing a group, a community of believers moving together as one unit. And, 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 and they're well entrenched in their communicative abilities. They have obviously had brethren that secured their protection. Uh, while Jason's in court with the other brothers, they have these brothers over here in verse 10 immediately sending Paul and Silas away. And just to emphasize the darkness of the times, it says by night, under the cover of night, in verse 10, to Berea, 46 miles away, by the way. <laughs> 46 miles away. Brother Marty, um, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, but I, I think about an a an example that Jesus used when they were criticizing his his disciples for eating on the seventh day. Remember that corn, that cornfield they were passing by? And Jesus yeah. takes them all the way back to David when David was being persecuted. Remember by Saul, he, he, he yeah. was just <laughs> trying to survive. And he goes, I, I forget the priest's name. But, you know, he asked for the food that lawfully he, he, he wasn't supposed to partake of, but it was given to him in, in that moment of necessity, you know, the priest helping mm -hmm. the king. Uh, do you remember that story? Yeah, um, absolutely. And it cost him you know, his life. 80 of, them. Yes. 80 of them were killed by Saul for helping David. Wow. Uh, and and uh, that's that was in Nob, I think it was, where where David uh, uh, went and and ate what Jesus said was not lawful for him to eat. And I think he also was given the armor of Goliath at the time. But that's for, that's that's a good point. Again, something like that. Huh? Yeah, yeah, because it was kept there in that tabernacle there. But listen, uh, what we're seeing then here is again a question that we have to ask in our time, and what we learned from the early church. They, they moved as a unit. They obviously had had systems in place. <laughs> I'm making people nervous, man. They obviously had systems in place uh, to move about in stealth. Because Paul, Silas, Timothy, you have four men here. You know, yeah. uh, they're, 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 they're protected. And, and, and they're being, yeah, and they're being shielded though by the church. See, they're yes. moving at, and functioning as a community of faith, and and they're hiding. Uh, and, and you know, take away the label of the apostles and all that. As important as that is, God forbid that I minimize that. But but just on a flesh and blood basis, you know, uh, will we hide one another? Will we protect one another? Are we willing, if we're dragged before the court of law and demanded to expose a brother or a sister that maybe has got caught the attention of the establishment, uh, are we willing at that point to 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 uh, <laughs> to to lie? I don't know where they are. I don't know. I don't. I don't know nothing. <laughs> I mean, well, these are these are questions that we need to ask, mm -hmm. brother. You know, I heard a preacher, I don't know if this goes with what you're saying, but I heard a preacher say, many times we say, well, I would never do that before. But in the instinct of survival, Good point. you're going to do whatever it takes <laughs> to, to stay alive or to keep a loved one alive. That's just yeah. 
in, in the right. instinct of of survival, you will do it. I will do whatever it takes. You know, um, you know, at the moment, I trust in the protection of God. You know, but if there's anything that I can do to protect my children, my wife, I will do whatever it takes in that instinct of survival to preserve their lives. Right? <laughs> yeah, and and we and we see the level that the gospel has affected them in, in, in the words of what Christ said, right? When he said, no greater love has a man than this, uh, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Wow. Yes, my Lord. These are serious oh. questions we're posing here. And really, we're not posing them. The, 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 the book of Acts is telling us this. The Holy Spirit is revealing this in the stories that actually happened. The beginning from the end, remember all this. These are serious issues we must ask ourselves, and it may be way over the top for a lot of you out there listening. But the day will come when serious questions will be asked, uh, and, and we must be prepared in advance and have it settled in our heart. There is nothing uh, wrong with going through possible scenarios in your mind and, and amongst your family members and your loved ones and your trusted associates. Don't trust everybody. Right, right, right. No, no, brother. I, I have these conversations. Jesus I'll be said, "Be, be gentle, gentle as a dove, and wise as a serpent." Right, right. Yes. Say that again, brother. These are these are conversations that I have with my wife. Of um, you know, I'm just being honest with you. Of scenarios, yeah. What to do? Uh, mm-hmm. who to trust? Where to go? You have to, you know. And and it almost seems, well, you guys are crazy. Let me tell you something. These are the days we're living. You have to pose these questions and, and really ha- have a plan if something happens. You know what I'm saying? These yeah. are the days that we're living. You have to have these conversations, at least have an idea. <laughs> if this happens, you know, uh, you know, what, whatever you need to tell your children, tell them. Whatever amen, you need brother. to tell your wife, tell her. And amen, check this out. I mean, because when they got them out of the city, it was at nighttime, right? Well, we know from the story we're reading that we've got roving gangs, fellows of the baser sort. You've got a false church persecuting, looking for them, the rulers of the city, the soldiers patrolling the streets. These people knew how to move at night. They knew how to navigate. They had pre-planned escape routes. They were well prepared for any scenario and at any cost. And, and they were able to get the men of God out of the city and preserve their lives. We need to think in strategic terms now. Let me tell you something. This morning I saw a film of, uh, of a Zoom call uh, that, that was hacked <laughs> by the underground, as all I'll say, uh, that, that tapped into a Zoom call that was made by Antifa leadership all over the country. And and what was revealed in that call was that they are planning, and they're well into the planning. Those of you who think that this last several weeks is, is, is there's just a lull and nothing's happening, and maybe all of this is going to blow away. No, no, they have retrenched themselves. They originally were planning to storm Washington D.C. in September, but they calculated when they saw the movements of the military and the protective arm of the White House itself uh, protecting the city. And so they, they, they called it off, but they've retrenched. 
and and this this call which occurred uh, yesterday or the day before was exposed uh, at, at multiple levels. They have charts. They have they're they're planning to seal off the city. They they have groups coming from everywhere. So whether this is going to take place all over the country or not, uh, it, it, we don't know. But we do know they are planning to shut down the capital city. We are headed. These are these are the baser sort lewd fellows we're talking about, and the powers that be. Who's funding them? How are they traveling? They just discovered a van full of explosives in Philadelphia, right? Brother Jeremy was telling me about that yesterday under those riots. Yes. The police yes. discovered a van that was filled with explosive materials. What are they planning to do? Had they not discovered the van, what would have happened? Right. Do you have eyes to see the extent to which our nation no longer has the enemy at the gate? He's in every major city across this country. And while the church played its prosperity games and its tattoos of Jesus over its heart and its, its Broadway theater production and its, its raping and pillaging of the poor and the widows, the enemy has infiltrated this, this country while the church slept. Open your eyes and see what we are having revealed to us here are strategic modes of response to what's coming. These brothers knew how to move in the dark. They knew how to, uh, to, to close their mouth when they needed to close their mouth. They were willing to deny knowledge that they knew they had. I don't know where Paul is. I don't know where Silas is. I don't know where Timothy is. I don't know where Luke is. Yes, you do. We know you do. No, I don't. These are brothers who understood the times and the importance of coming together as a community. However that manifests where you are, whether it's just your own little family unit, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your neighbors, it better be people you can trust. It better be people that you know, that you know, that you know, understand the times. Don't trust somebody whose life doesn't line up with what the scripture teaches. Don't trust them. They will become your enemy. They will turn on you. Keep your mouth shut. Learn from our brothers in the early church because we're going to need this kind of wisdom in our times right now. So let's close with this. They get them out of the city. Now, I could talk about Berea. You know, they were all like preachers like to talk about, you know, they searched the scriptures to see if these things be so, but that's not our focus today. What they did was they were able to take the, the saints of God as they move together as the true church in these dark times at night. They ferry them out of the city, and they send them 46 miles away. That's how far they took them, 46 miles. I mean, to us, that's, you know, uh, under an hour drive nowadays, right? But for them, think of the logistics <laughs> of traveling 46 miles and the perils that they – I mean, they were well-prepared and protected by the Holy Spirit. So they bring, they bring them to Berea, but look what happens in verse 13. We're almost done. Verse 13, can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came hither, there, uh, hither also and stirred up the people. So, uh, you know, the obvious, you know, they're coming to persecute, but, but what do we learn from this as applying it to our times? Number one, they had knowledge of where they went to. They, 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 were, they didn't cease looking for them. They knew where they went, 
and, and really in, in many ways, <laughs> this is teaching us in a much larger context, the fact that they have knowledge of what's happening 46 miles away, it speaks of information traveling, right? But in our sense, it's really uh, a foreshadow of the surveillance state, man. They know exactly where they are and they're coming after them. They track them. Oh, I'll just leave that out there. I tell you what, uh, we better be very selective now who we associate with in the church. A separation is occurring. Can you see it? Now, I'm not talking about digging a hole and hiding yourself. I'm talking about be wise, like Brother Fernando just quoted. Be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Be prepared. Understand what is happening. And so Paul leaves, and they send him to Athens. Can you read verse 14 through 16, Brother Jeremy, and we'll close. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him into unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Really, it's a progression of the end of time and where he comes to. But I just want to point something out again. So 46 miles down the road, uh, <laughs> the surveillance state uh, follows Paul there. They, they have word of exactly where they are, and they go after them. But then again, in verse 14, what do we see? The brothers at Berea, right? It says, immediately the brethren sent Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. They put him on a boat this time and basically sent him 191 miles. I did the math. It's 191 miles from Berea. So they first sent him 50 miles away, but that wasn't far away enough. This time they sent him 191 miles away by boat. And he comes floating up to Athens. I just want to talk to you about something here because, again, we see the brothers in Berea moving as a secret community and a protector of God's servants. You know, it made me think, uh, made me think about the Holocaust, man. It made me think about Nazi Germany. It made me think about what the Jewish people call the righteous Gentiles. It made me think about Corey Ten Boom. My wife and I were having a talk about her the other night. Um, she, her daddy was a, if I remember the story, was a Swiss uh, or, a, or a, a watchmaker in Amsterdam or something. I think that's where they were at. Um, and when the Nazis came into power and they were they were taking the Jews and and and, and arresting them and sending them into concentration camps, her father uh, and their family hid them. And kept them for many, many, many days and months, uh, protecting the Jews uh, and, and not allowing them to be arrested. It made me think of that, that they came up under times not too long ago, brothers, in the 40s, the 1940s. And, and now we see the same kind of fascism, uh, dystopian, Orwellian society emerging in our time. Oh, I wish that we would wake up and see 
it's so beyond the scope of many people to fully let it filter down into their psyche and understand the times, not in a paranoid way, but in a Holy Spirit-inspired, calculated, wise way to take an honest assessment of the times and what is actually being boldly proclaimed and their intent, whether that happens in the next, you know, three, four years, next week, it is going to happen. And it's coming rapidly. It happened in Nazi Germany, and, and they, were, they were the kind of family that protected uh, their brethren. They understood how to do it. But the time came when, when they had to come up under their own scrutiny, and, and, and they were willing to pay the price. Cord Timboom ended up, and her sister, in, in, in the concentration camps of Hitler, man. Her sister passed away, but Cord Timboom survived. Google Corey Ten Boom, those of you out there who aren't familiar with her, Corey Ten Boom, uh, and, and, and just listen to her. There's films of her telling her story and the marvelous way in which God protected her and brought her through uh, the Auschwitz and Treblinka's and, and, and the mad, maddening devilish doctrine of, of, of Nazi Germany and Hitler. So we see a community knowing how to protect itself wherever you are listening to this, I pray to God you understand what it is we're trying to tell you. We want you to, to, to sit down and take an honest assessment of the times. Don't be spiritually lazy. Don't be lazy in understanding what's actually happening around the world. Open your eyes. Do a little homework. Go, go, go buy the book COVID-19 and the Global Reset by Klaus Schwab, the leader of the World Economic Forum. Go read the United Nations Charter on Agenda 2030. Go read the, the last couple encyclicals issued by, by that, that fake, phony papacy in, in Rome over there and what they're doing and how they've linked themselves to the global state. Go read the Green New Deal, the 110-page document issued by the Biden campaign. Go read that. And, and, and they'll tell you how they want to infiltrate every single part of your life, come into your neighborhood like they did in, in, in the book of Acts here. Go pay attention to what's going on behind the scenes with Antifa and what they're planning to do. They're just a symptom. They're being used by the powers that be, but they're coming after the church. And it's come to rest in the shores of this country. It's been all over the world for decades. Like Brother Fernando and Brother Jeremy pointed out, our brothers all over the world have been suffering uh, up under the, the jackbooted heel, as they say, of the global elite. They're coming after us. And I know we sound incredibly paranoid, but we're quoting scripture to you. This isn't some feeling I have or, 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 or we have or some sort of vision I had in the middle of the night. We're quoting scripture to you, so you're either going to understand it from the, per from the perspective of, of strength, because we're not, we're not trying to scare anybody. We're trying to warn that these scenarios are more possible now than at any time that I've seen in the last 60 years of my life. And, and these brethren knew how to protect each other. Get together with your families. Get together with your trusted brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's not a pleasant thing to discuss, but we better be ready. We better understand. And, and ultimately take courage and strength in the fact that the Holy Spirit is all in these stories protecting his children. He'll protect us.
some of us will have to make the ultimate sacrifice. And some of us won't. But our heart and our, and our king is coming. And our heart is in his kingdom. See, where Paul ended up is where Brother Jeremy just read was in Athens. <laughs> and we finally have come to Athens. And and uh, it's 191 miles away from Berea, right? But we're going to end it here. We've, we've arrived in Athens, and on Monday, we'll talk about why it's significant for our times, what it means, as, as we do one more podcast before the election. But in Acts 17, 16, I want you to understand something there, what Paul, what was going on in this great apostle's mind. You've been with us throughout the last 17 chapters of the book of Acts. We now have a greater understanding of what this great man of God went through. And what really strikes me here, brothers, is this is the first time in all the historical account in the book of Acts, in his public ministry, after 23 years, Paul is alone by himself. No Timothy, no Silas, no Luke. They're all gone. They put him on a boat and sent him away. And he comes to Athens. And so it says this, while they, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the whole city given to idolatry. His spirit was stirred. There's an interim period between the waiting and the stirring. And really what this reveals to us is that it wasn't an easy choice for him. Remember, while he waited, it, it indicates that a period of time went by. His choice to preach the gospel there is extraordinary. Because he could have laid low in this crazy world that we're describing here. But instead he chose to be bold. See, there's a whole bunch of complicated emotions. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more on Monday that are, that are seen here. He, he could have said, if you think about it, what he just went through. In Thessalonica, his preaching of the gospel brought danger to the house of Jason and the other brothers there. He could have just laid low and thought, if every time I go out, trouble comes, I don't want to endanger anybody else's life. He had to deal with those emotions. He had to really reflect and assess and have filtered into even deeper parts of his own being the purpose of life for, for the whole church. And that's what it's meant by as he waited. The waiting and the stirring, the in-between, there's a lot going on there, and we want to explore that. But what we do see is that he saw deeper. And remember, it would be a year from the point he left Thessalonica that he would write two letters, and those letters are full of end-time prophecy. And really, what he was writing was for our time now, when you read on your own time, First and Second Thessalonians, and what we just explored today. All of it's connected, and all of it has come to rest in our time. God help us to be ready. God help us to be wise. God help us to be in faith and not fear. But we preach one king, one kingdom, and one Lord above all. His name isn't Caesar. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Even so, come quickly, Lord, we pray.
Brothers, why don't you close us out for the week? Hallelujah. Praise God. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, as we, we get ready to go into the week, and, you know, there's a there's a particular example you used that I loved of Corey Ten Boom. There's mm-hmm. actually a second part to that story that a lot of people may not know that's beautiful. Out of all the people they helped save that family, the Ten Boom family, there was a particular young man that was used and they, they they became part of an underground revolution that saved many orphans. Ah. Through the ministry of Ten Boom, through one of the, the persons that they saved, he helped save many. Not 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 many and maybe a number, but you know, many, you know, children uh yeah. that were saved through this man's life. It's, I, I forget his name, but you can actually see it. It's a second part of that uh, that story of Corey Ten Boom of what takes place after. But we definitely have had a time in the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And these are very, very serious things to consider. A lot of things to, to really uh, bring to your thought process as you consider these things and meditate on them and ask the Lord to guide you in this hour, to guide us, to guide us every step of the way. We love you, and we pray for you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up.